Welcome to the sermon podcast for Grace Episcopal Church in Newton, Massachusetts for Sunday, February 27th, 2022, the last Sunday after the Epiphany. I'm Regina Walton, pastor and rector. Today's sermon is based on Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 43. Thanks for listening. For some time now, I've been planning a preaching series for Lent, which will begin next week. Uh, The impetus for uh, having guest preachers all doing Lent at first was uh, practical. Rowan will be out uh, on six weeks of medical leave beginning on Ash Wednesday, recovering from a surgery. And I needed to find a way to have some more hours in my week to be able to attend to some responsibilities that are usually theirs while they are away. I love to preach. And so I would like everyone to recognize that exchanging sermon preparation time for even more email than I usually have to deal with is truly a penitential act (laughs) worthy of the Lenten season. I knew early on that I wanted to invite preachers who were engaged locally in ministries with marginalized people. Fortunately, there are so many faithful folks uh, living out the gospel in profound and innovative ways in our neighborhood that it was not difficult to find preachers that met this criteria. But I wasn't really sure what to call the series, and I kept going back and forth on different names. And then uh, last week, Dr. Paul Farmer died. He died doing the work that he had become famous for, visiting a hospital that his organization, Partners in Health, had founded in Rwanda for the training of doctors and nurses in that country to serve the poor in a manner that fully recognized their inherent dignity and their right to receive the best health care imaginable and available. There were so many incredibly moving tributes to, uh, about Dr. Farmer this past week and his nearly 40 years of healthcare advocacy and practice in the two-thirds, two-thirds world. But the tribute that I found most moving was perhaps the briefest one. It was just one line in the short statement that was released by Partners in Health immediately after his death. Paul taught all those around him the power of accompaniment, love for one another, and solidarity. Paul taught all those around him the power of accompaniment, love for one another, and solidarity. This line perfectly summarizes the way Dr. Paul Farmer lived his life, the methods by which he changed the world and the approach to global health care, and what his legacy will be. I realize that this is what I've really been wanting to hear about from the preachers that I've invited into the Lenten series that will begin next week at Grace. And so I've titled the series, Accompaniment and Solidarity, Walking in Love with Those on the Margins. One thing that just about all of the news stories and tributes about Paul Farmer's life failed to mention is that these three approaches, accompaniment, solidarity, and unconditional love and kindness, 
come directly from liberation theology, which emerged out of the Latin American Christian experience and began influencing those in the US and European churches beginning in the early 1980s. Paul Farmer himself wrote a number of times about the importance of liberation theology to his own Catholic faith. But secular news stories about him and even uh, the wonderful documentary, Bending the Ark, uh, tend to leave out mention of his deep commitment to Catholic social teaching and uh, social justice out of the narrative of his life and work. In a recent article for America Magazine, the Reverend John Deere, a Jesuit, wrote about his long friendship with Paul that began when they were both undergraduates at Duke University. Father Deere describes how both he and his friend had conversion experiences within months of each other and how Paul's occurred the night that Archbishop Osco Romero was killed in El Salvador. He attended a prayer vigil on the Duke campus and he told his friend afterward that he suddenly realized that to be a Christian meant you had to be on the side of the poor and serve Christ in the poor. Soon after Paul Farmer's graduation, he went to Haiti for the first time and began working with a Haitian priest trying to improve the health care uh, in the rural area of Kanj, where he remained committed uh, for the rest of his uh, days. There he also met Ophelia Dahl, who would become one of the founders of Partner, Partners in Health with him a few years later um, with a connection uh, in the Boston area through Harvard Medical School. One of the other founders, Jim Yong Kim, who is now the president of the World Bank, said that in those early days, Farmer told him, let's start a nonprofit organization that has only one rule. Everybody has to be kind. We have to agree to practice unconditional kindness. I highly recommend uh, the 2017 documentary that's on Netflix right now about Partners in Health called Bending the Ark. And you will see uh, in that documentary what practicing unconditional kindness looks like in action. The success of Partners in Health came from two sources, their insistence that the poorest of the poor in developing countries still deserved the expensive treatments for tuberculosis, HIV, and other diseases that were available to the wealthy in the US and Europe, and their use of community health workers or accompanateurs. In the documentary, you see these community health workers on their rounds, checking in on their patients, helping them to take their medicine regularly, but also offering support and encouragement, especially when um, some of the treatments for tuber tuberculosis were very long courses of medicine that had um, very difficult side effects for people to endure if they were gonna get better. In a 2011 address to Harvard Kennedy School graduates, Farmer defined what he meant by accompaniment. To accompany someone, he wrote, is to go somewhere with him or her, to break bread together, to be present on a journey with a beginning and an end. 
there's an element of mystery and openness. I'll share your fate for a while, and by a while, I don't mean a little while. Accompaniment is much more often about sticking with a task until it's deemed completed by the person being accompanied rather than by the accompanimenter. Farmer also noted that it's not only patients that need accompaniment, but also public health officials, clinicians, teachers, and others working in healthcare settings that need this kind of someone walking beside them with encouragement and support. Farmer attributed frequent great failures in policy and governance to the tendency of many people who want to help the poor, but only from a controlled distance. One example from Haiti that he gave was a group of architects who planned a new settlement for earthquake victims on a site that they had never visited, which turned out to be in the middle of a floodplain. He also said that really costly failures often result from failures of the imagination. Today is the last Sunday before Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, when we are called to a special time of self-examination and repentance, almsgiving or giving financially to the poor, prayer, and fasting, whether that is fasting from food or from other activities that can pull our attention away from God. The gospel appointed for this Sunday is always the story of the transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John have this visionary experience of who Jesus really is on Mount Tabor, seeing him glowing white, talking with Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. I often find the transfiguration difficult to preach on because it seems to be a story that is much more about Jesus and who he is than about us and who we are. It can be difficult to see how those things uh, connect in this gospel. But the Apostle Paul in the second letter to Corinthians reminds us that Jesus' transfiguration makes possible our own transfigurations. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Believing in Jesus and living out our belief means that we reflect back some of this glory. We shine out some of the light of Christ into the world. We are not the source of it, but we can reflect it. And in this way, we too are transfigured by it. When Paul says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I believe that part of that freedom for us is to put aside the status quo, and to work for justice and peace in new ways. We have a freedom in Christ to try new things, new approaches, and to unbind ourselves from previous failures of the imagination, which we are so often wedded to, though they have never given us the results that we have wanted or longed for. The documentary, Bending the Ark, shows on film how much resistance Dr. Farmer and Partners in Health faced 
for their work from the global public health community, which now that uh, Partners in Health and Dr. Farmer are so widely celebrated, I think it's worth noting how much resistance they faced for so many years. The film shows quite a bit of footage from conferences where experts in the field tell Farmer and his team, even after they have really solid data uh, on the amazing results that they're getting, that their approach is what they call not sustainable. I was really struck by how many times um, that, that word was used against Farmer and Partners in Health, uh, that it wasn't sustainable. Sustainability is, of course, an important quality for organizations and systems and for the environment. But it becomes clear that what these experts were objecting to was the upfront costs of the drugs at that time for people who could not pay the exorbitant prices because they were poor and because of the countries that they were from and because of the color of their skin. The Partners in Health model has, it turns out, proven to be quite sustainable, far more sustainable than many other ways of doing global public health because of the emphasis on community health workers and the emphasis on training doctors and nurses in countries like Haiti and Rwanda to care for their own people. But this approach did require a very large upfront investment because changing the status quo usually does require a very large initial upfront investment, whether that's of money or time uh, or both of those things. It's hard for me to think of uh, an example of a truly innovative uh, movement that has come across the world that did not require a very large investment of some kind of resource upfront. We are committed to exploring our own sustainability at Grace Church. That was something we've talked about at the annual meeting, at budget meetings recently. In terms of our finances, in terms of the scope and the demands of our volunteer and staff leadership roles, and ultimately, I hope, in terms of environmental concerns like energy use. This community has shown extraordinary generosity in the last year both in the capital campaign and in our annual stewardship appeal, and also in the giving of volunteer time and expertise, especially during these last few years when uh, both our tower restoration project and the pandemic have demanded so much from us. And that generosity is good because it turns out that living out the gospel is really expensive. Jesus says it costs everything that we have. And I think it's important to be upfront about that. Of course, Jesus also says that when we give sacrificially, when we give everything for the sake of the gospel, it comes back to us a hundredfold. That's the sustainability part. The gospel of Jesus Christ is both very expensive and it is the path to sustainability in all aspects of our lives and in the life of the world. We should not be surprised that these things go together. When we talk about sustainability at Grace, 
all kinds of sustainability in the next year, we should not make the same mistake as all of those global health experts who responded to the new accompaniment model of partners in health, of thinking that you can change the equation to become sustainable without a significant upfront investment and a change in the status quo. You have to do something different to get different results than you've been getting. And to change those systems often requires a really significant investment from many committed people. We should not be afraid or anxious of what is being asked of us in this moment. We already have evidence. We have some hard data of how God has used the generosity of this congregation to bless us with more than we ever imagined, quite literally. I am very excited for the stories that will be shared with us from our guest preachers over the next number of weeks and for the good words and perhaps challenging words that they will bring to us as they share their experiences of accompaniment, solidarity, and walking in love with those at the margins. As Paul Farmer said at the end of one of his talks, may the idea of accompaniment go with you on your own journeys, wherever they may lead you, and Godspeed. And may the light of Christ transfigure us and reflect from our faces out into the world. In God's name, amen.